Hey everybody, good evening. It is uh, 7-ish, uh, 7.32 here Monday. Thank you whenever, wherever you may be watching, listening to The Yard Sign, uh, the most important, important important relevant podcast in politics. We got a little bit of a video issue. There we go. Uh, happening, but uh, glad you're watching. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got an exciting show for you, an exciting guest, uh, someone we haven't seen in a while, but we're happy to have him back. So we're going to have some really interesting dialogue tonight about what's happening here in the state of Florida. Florida. That's right. We're uh, being uh, pretty Florida centric today um, and uh, therefore the uh, appropriate baseball cap. Um, let's run through the topics. Uh, and although they may not seem like much, there's definitely a lot to cover. Uh, we'll get into the 2022 legislative recap. Uh, uh, hence, another hint to, uh, to our special guest. Uh, we'll talk about the gender lessons for kids. New Jersey uh, seemingly wanting to kind of return the, 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 the ball, if you will, uh, back to DeSantis' side of the court as he kind of gets justified in uh, some of the legislation that's been controversial uh, coming out of Tallahassee. And Hunter Biden won't die. Um, and we're not talking about him specifically, but the overall story, uh, you know, which, uh, again, Republicans have been uh, trying to bring to light for over a couple of years now. And uh, the media can't seem to make it go away. They just want to ignore it, and they just can't. As much as they may try to bury it, uh, we'll get into why that's happening uh, and later on in the show as well. Uh, so without uh, further ado, uh, let's go ahead over to the big table over in the far right. Uh, I'm sorry, the far left is the far right, enabled David Cabrera. How are you, sir? Is this working? Oh, it's working. It's great. I'm doing good. It's, it's been a great day. It's uh, Monday. It's uh, We're entering Holy Week, so it's, it's always good. Yeah. Uh, and as I like to say, uh, last Sunday was Palm Sunday. High five. Hey. Palm Sunday. Oh, there we go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you don't know, Jonathan is a dad. Yes. <laughs> that was a dad joke. Well, you, a dad that's, joke. I'll give you, you know, that. It's one of your, you know, it's one of your responsibilities as, as a dad. Is, I, I haven't you know, gotten dad into jokes. the dad jokes yet. Right. <laughs> I guess I, my it's, son's seven. I haven't started doing it it's, yet. But. It's a power that you, it just, you know, it just, it's naturally handed to you, you know, along with the birth of your child. It just kind of comes I, I, naturally. I was not so enchanted. Have to dig deep, Michael. Okay. You have to All dig right. deep, and uh, this lovely gentleman here uh, to my right uh, in uh, in the center chair is state representative for District Fifty Seven, Michael Beltran. Hey, good to be here. What's up, buddy? I'm doing all it's right. It's probably been uh, well over a year, if not two, since you've been on the show. It was uh, January last year, so yeah, a little over. Wow. A year. Okay. Yeah. Look at you keeping track. I appreciate that. I remember it was it was the first week of the year. <laughs> I remember because right. I was really busy, but I came on the show. <laughs> I remember doing a million things. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're still really busy. Um, still busy. You know, you're a practicing attorney and a uh, practicing state representative. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, today, you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your event with the governor. So, yeah, we had a bill signing over at Ray J this morning. Uh, we signed the uh, the fatherhood bill just to uh, try to provide more tools, both for uh, for kids whose you know families are not intact and then uh, for fathers who may be struggling with uh, substance abuse or incarceration or things like okay. that, things that may uh, prevent them from uh, from you know spending the time with their 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 kids that they should gotcha. and um, we had a lot of good folks uh, the coach was there and the governor was there a lot of my colleagues uh, Arian and and uh, and um, oh gosh um uh, Tony Dungy he was there yeah uh, I, I was standing right Bruce Arians as well or no um, I didn't. Because I, didn't I know it was him. at the Buccaneers facility. I mean, it was at the Bucs facility. Okay, it was cool. at their indoor training facility. Right, right. On, on. And so, as a father, where do I go get my check? 
Oh, it's not, it's not for you. You're a, you're a good, presumably you're a good father. So you probably don't, probably don't oh, on, on paper, we can make things happen. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I can develop a little bit of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you're from Miami, so it's not that difficult. And Colombian. So, oh, oh my God. Two whammies no, right yeah, there. It's, it's, you know, I qualify. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, uh, we, we were talking a little bit offline, but it's one of these things that, funny enough, in the initial inception, in the initial kind of brainstorming of what I wanted this show to be like, it was actually more along the lines of, you know, what I'm about to ask you, which is more of the behind the scenes stuff, more of the stuff that people don't actually know how these things happen, uh, much like they don't know how campaigns come about and are done. And uh, and in the same way, now being a state representative, um, the governor, DeSantis, uh, I think does a great job at it. Uh, governor Scott did a great job at it too, uh, about, you know, making sure that they cover the state and they do a lot of appearances, talking about the wins that they had the legislature um who decides like who shows up to these things who stands behind or next to the governor um you know you, you were telling me a little bit about a, a bill you had that ended up getting signed in miami mm -hmm. and, and so why miami in that case i mean was it something that particular impacted that part of the state or and also how do we get on the the, the list <laughs> yeah, to actually so, get on this. So, so, I, I want to know. I, I mean, I can get ready quickly. So the trip I, I did to Miami was it was uh, May or June last year, and that was for the corporate espionage bill, and that was the bill I was the house sponsor of that bill, and I think they they signed it in Miami because it was it was a little bit uh, about China. Sure. And we had some we had some guests from the uh, Taiwanese. Um, it's not an embassy, but they're nice. they call it their institute or whatever sure, we yeah. call our quote unquote embassy in, in Taipei, we call it the American Institute. And they have kind of sort of a similar uh, embassy and consulate arrangement in wow. major American cities. And those folks, but even that's there. pretty bold for them to show yeah. up to a press conference centered around corporate espionage, which we know China is yeah. incredibly guilty of. Oh, they are. And so, and obviously, uh, you know, Taiwan is an adversary of the, the People's Republic, if you yeah. will. And so uh, those folks were, were headquartered out of Miami and then Miami's kind of more of an international destination. And then okay. some of the sponsors of my bill and related bills were in the South Florida area. So gotcha. as a confluence of those factors that they had the bill signing there, we've, we've been, we just in the last couple months, we've probably had half a dozen bill signings. We had the, um, but the one you did today, yeah. for instance, yeah. um, obviously your part it's in the region, it's, it's in, in the, the Tampa region. Bay region in the, the County, especially. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense too. Mm -hmm. Are you ever called to some that are, let's say, and not tied to you in any particular way? Do they just want some of the legislate legislators there to kind of have a presence or, um, or yeah. so, so I was a co-sponsor of the bill today, but I wasn't, the, I wasn't the, the lead sponsor or anything. Uh, last uh, last week we had the um, 1557, the Parental Rights and Education Bill that was signed in Pasco County. I debated the bill in committee, and I also actually was working on you know on some of the language in the bill. And there, there was one time when they were uh, going to do something I didn't think was appropriate, and I told them that, and they withdrew that amendment. And so, um, and, and that's one of the bills we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I played a role in shaping that bill. It was also in the area, mm -hmm. and um, it was something. You know, the governor knew I was interested and concerned about it was reasonably close. Uh, but uh, people, some people came from the East Coast, right? Uh, East Coast of Florida for that bill. Some people came from Jacksonville, okay, uh, for that purpose. So, well, really, especially because it also got a lot of media attention, right? Yeah. And I'm guessing that draws in some legislators as well, you know, because they want to have some association to that bill going, you know, into law. Yes. And that bill, that, that uh, bill signing was kind of, 
usually they don't tell me they'll call they'll call usually a day or usually they call over the weekend and usually the bill signings are on monday and they'll okay. call you over, over the weekend and tell you where it is i think for the miami one they might have called me on friday because we had to travel, travel down. down there yep. and um for the I was, I was going to the air show. It was the air show a couple of weeks oh, ago yeah, yeah. in town. And, and um, someone from the governor's office called me. It was the next day. And they said, mm. you know, they, they did it very short notice. And they asked us to keep it quiet because they didn't want a massive protest. Should have put you on one of the Blue Angels. And, and they were, they, they could have. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the governor got, took that down from Tallahassee. But, um, but anyway, there were a few people with sides, but it wasn't. The, the event was not, um, yeah. and the media had an opportunity to attend. But well, that's part of the strategy too, right? Is to yeah. avoid some of the chaos with the protesters and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But the media is always there. Um, yeah. we always, you know, you can always they, count they, on them. No, well, I mean, they always <laughs> have an, there, there must be someone in the governor's office yeah. who uh, gives the media some notice, and we always have a good crowd. I mean, at the we had a really big crowd in at Branda Honda back. Oh um, yeah. Just before Thanksgiving. I remember that, yeah. We're literally about 100 yards from there. Yeah, that was very well. Yeah, I guess we are now, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that was very well attended. Um, that was indoor at the, the car dealership there. Um, and then it, it'll really depend on the subject matter. We filled the room up at the um, up at the school up in Pasco. Yeah. Um, what I like, too, about what DeSantis has done maybe a little differently, at least it seems this way, is that he does also go in stops in a lot of the small towns along the way, you know, and he stops into a lot of the, you know, it's not just like, oh, I'm in Tampa, so I'm going to stop into some local businesses. You know, he could literally be in somewhere in the middle of nowhere in the state, and he'll pop into a restaurant. He'll pop into a small business, you know, not in just the kind of big regional kind of areas. Yeah, the governor travels quite a bit. I think the governor may travel more than I do, and I have to travel to get to Tallahassee, and he <laughs> doesn't. Right. Yeah. But nonetheless, I and sometimes I'm there, and he's here. Oh, funny. And or, or sometimes he'll have a bill signing back here, and if I have committee that day, I actually can't make it back, even if he might be five or ten right. miles from my house. So Right, well, um, he has the luxury of the, the jet. He's got the he's got the plane, yeah. So yeah. sometimes I say, well, if I can ride on your jet, I can make it. <laughs> That's you know, right, right. <laughs> you know, which I, I mean, they do typically at the federal level. You know, if the president wants to take some legislators, mm -hmm. you know, he'll usually invite them to come along. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's funny, a lot of people forget. You know, Rick Scott got rid of the jet. Mm -hmm. You know, because he had his own. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, so it was a nice savings there for about eight years for the for the taxpayers. But now we had to get a new one. I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that for, was for Governor DeSantis. Yes, in 2019, they actually had at one point they had a plane that they had seized as a forfeiture in a criminal proceeding oh nice and that was what they were using because they didn't they didn't have any other planes because oh God, uh, governor amazing. scott had sold the had sold the jets they were using that and at one point it there was some mechanical problem the governor was fine but okay. there was a mechanical problem they did have to land or divert there was some issue and so at that point right after the governor was elected in uh first session first by my first session and his first session as governor we appropriated some money and i believe we purchased some now this is your second term uh your first term was primarily under uh speaker corcoran right do i have that right oliva oh oliva oh okay so you miss corcoran Yes, that's right. Yeah, Corcoran okay. was education commissioner gotcha. when I came. And like in. they'd say in office space, I wouldn't say you missed him, Bob. Well, I you mean, know, I, we definitely <laughs> interacted, and we, we have interacted because yeah. he's been education commissioner. For no, I understand, but I understand. I mean, it was, it was I, I just remember a lot of the legislators saying it was a pretty tough environment, you know, when he was speaker. Um, Oliva, you know, now uh, Chris Sprouls, who's from the region as well. Give us a little bit of background now that, you know, you're four years in, second mm -hmm. term. Um, what's that been like for you? What's the experience been like? How do you feel differently today than you did when you first got started? 
Well, I, I guess, you know, people say, is it what you expected? And I, I say, yes. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, qu quite frankly, is I, I expected it to be roughly what it is. Okay. It's, it's a difficult process. Um, you know, the special interests have too much power. A little chaotic, a um, little dysfunctional. A little chaotic, a little, little dysfunctional. There are things that we don't always get done that we should. Mm -hmm. There are things that uh, perhaps we shouldn't do. And we do. <laughs> sure, right. And sometimes uh, you're able to stop them. Sometimes you're able to blunt um, bad bills. Uh, and, you know, and sometimes things happen and you're, you're, you're in the minority and you vote against it. Um, and then there are some things there. There's a bill. I'm not going to say which one, but there were four or five things I liked and two or three things I didn't like. And, um, you know, and then you just kind of got you got to make a tough choice. Sure. Um, and so. Um, overall, the process, you know, it's a tough process. It's, you know, it's a lot of sacrifice in terms of my business and my family and things like that. I wouldn't want, uh, let me put it this way. If there was someone else better in my community that I thought could do the job better, I would happily step aside and let them do it. But I don't want the things that frustrate you about Tallahassee yeah. are why I think I should be there. Cause I don't sure. want the bad actors to be there without me there at least trying to, to well, well let me frame that into a question which is because i do ask you know why in the world would anyone anybody, anybody want to go up there um a for the time that you have to commit mm -hmm. to it and b for the amount of money they're paying you to be there uh which is but, next to nothing what, 16, uh, it's, it's like below minimum wage no, it's and not. yeah it's like 30 grand isn't it yeah 29 yeah 29 grand it's not below minimum wage Okay. Well, depends how much your time you spend. It's a fifteen dollars minimum wage. You can hit that pretty quick. Um, which I, we don't. Uh, we don't get overtime either. There's I should, yeah, there's McDonald's that are paying twenty bucks. An I was hour, on the. Man. I've been on the the floor real late. I should be getting some uh, right. overtime. Well, you're about and, to have a special uh, session. Holiday pay. Oh my God, all this special stuff. session. I Easter week. It. I gotta go up next week. So. so, what was your let's say versus the you know when you decided to run mm -hmm. the first time to now again at the end of your second term. Um, halfway through your term limit right that's true um is your goal the same or has it changed like now knowing the way the sausage is made now are your goals different uh have you accomplished what you set out to accomplish um you know where where are you kind of in in your personal kind of pursuit of all of this well when i ran for re-election in 2020 i looked back at my palm card from 2018 and you know there were six or seven items on that one of them was increasing funding in the classroom protecting the unborn uh, keeping taxes low all of those things and i looked at the palm card and i felt really good i mean i was doing my interviews for the endorsements and the reelect, and i was able to say look there i promised seven or eight things here here's my old palm card I did all of this is a palm card from two years ago. I can't go back and change it. Okay. Sure. But it just so happens I did every single one of those things because I meant it. I knew I wanted to do those things. I knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I figured I could get those done. And together with my colleagues, we got those things done. Uh, and so I've accomplished, I mean, I haven't accomplished every last thing. First of all, we still have some time left. Second, there are new things that you realize that need to be done. And then there are things that take a while. I mean, yeah. I had some really good bills. And I made a deeper run than other people have with those policies in the past. But there are some things that got across the finish line and some that didn't. When you have things, things that come about unexpectedly, like COVID. Yeah, things like COVID that come up, uh, although that hasn't really necessarily been the centerpiece of, right. you know, some of the things I was doing. Although there were there were important things we needed to address, mainly in, in, the, in terms of a defensive nature in the sense that things happened in the last, say, two years, two and a half years, however you want to date the coronavirus 
things have happened that we never imagined when I ran in 2018 that, that people would be shutting down your church or telling yeah. you that you had to get a vaccination in order to be out in society or unable to right. to work at a private employer or things of that nature. Or, or that they, or even they were mandating gonna, medical equipment, mandating yeah. that or, 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 or uh, shutting down schools and things of this nature, let alone some of the, the things we've seen in the culture wars. So there were things that you couldn't even imagine that were just just to get back to the status quo and protect the, um, the freedoms that we that we thought we had. In fact, right. we do have those freedoms, but certainly they've been challenged, um, particularly by folks in Washington, just to kind of get back to neutral. We've done quite a bit of work. A lot of right. what we've been doing is defensive. Now in Florida, you know, we have a Republican trifecta uh, and we have a fairly uh, energetic leadership. And so we've also been able to to move the needle forward on a lot of things. But a, a lot of energy has been spent on just defending ourselves really from protecting us as the free state of Florida from, you know, I, I, I almost feel like, you know, I'm some small little country and you know you, you look at some of these other countries that we're like you know we're being persecuted by the by the capital sometimes sure. you know yeah. because you feel we're 20 21 22 million people however many you want to say in a country of over 300 million ruled by folks who you know don't share our values right and you know you feel like you read about some foreign country that has some province that they're, they're persecuting <laughs> and sometimes that's that's how you feel well even um, here locally right yeah. so our local school district was penalized for their mask enforcements and then you hear you hear now you have the federal government basically saying oh don't worry we'll take care of those financial penalties you know because the state legislature obviously you know uh, was uh, penalizing you for for some of those mandates you know, so like you said, you're kind of working against, you know, a much larger country, you know, in that essence, because they're, you know, they're, they're kind of pushing their agenda, you know, and trying to find a way to get their agenda in while the state legislature is working on theirs. Yeah. And we have a very, at the end of, end of the day, we have federalism in the United States. So yeah. the state has an awful lot of power. Remember the sovereignty, all the sovereignty comes from the state, right? So the state created the national government, right? Mm -hmm. We created and ratified the constitution. And then we created all the local governments, including the counties and the municipalities. And so under our system, the, the, the sovereignty lies in the state unless it's been delegated elsewhere. And so that bulwark, that bulwark of federalism has really helped us in Florida. And a lot of the uh, for example, some of the uh, the the the, um, the coronavirus and the, the vaccine mandates and things like that; those were largely because of our federalism. Uh, we were able to push back on a lot of those things. So, uh, having been in the legislature under Speaker Leva and now Speaker Sprouls, and then two different uh, governors as well, which one do you see? I mean, I, I would imagine the obvious is the speaker, you know, but also how much uh, difference or impact does it make, you know, um, uh, does the governor make on the kind of overall environment in the legislature? Well, we've had very good relationship with the governor. Uh, I, I have, and uh, most of my colleagues have, and uh, the speakers, the Oliva and Sprawls have also had a good relationship. I think there may be, could certainly count on one hand the number of times when either there was a problem with the other chamber or there was a problem with the governor. Mm -hmm. um, obviously we're working through uh, some of those issues right now, but slight I mean, hiccup, slight we've been, <laughs> we've been, we've all been together numerous times since the end of session. And they, there's certainly no uh, awkwardness in the room or sure. anything like that. And uh, I think we're going to end up, I, th I, th I think they're all in a good place now. I think we're all in a good place and I think we're going to end up with a, with a good product. And I think we'll be better off um, having gone through this process than we would have, if we, um, you know, if we hadn't had those discussions. Um, so, 
Uh, so things are going very well. The, the Governor DeSantis, by and large, and I mean 98% of the time, uh, gets along extremely well with the, the both um, uh, both uh, branches of the legislature. And um, it's really, I mean, he, he's a good conservative governor. He's energetic, and he's trying to do the right thing. And Which of the two would you say has pressed harder in the legislature to advance their agenda, Governor Scott or Governor DeSantis? Well, I think that Governor DeSantis, like I said, I mean, he will come up with a proposal or somebody else will come up with a proposal and he will endorse it. And by and large, those policies are being implemented. Like on the, um, in the fall, when we had the special on coronavirus, nobody mm -hmm. got exactly what they wanted. There was definitely some give and take, but by and large, it should be the governor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there should be, and we should have checks and balances and we should have a discussion Compromise, and we yeah. should try to improve things and have some give and take, but by and large, the governor has been able to implement his policies. And I think that's a good thing. I find myself in alignment with the governor, you know, probably that, that 98% of the time. And, uh, and so we've done very well. I think Scott. There was at least one occasion when Scott vetoed something and something we've brought back and you know had since uh, Governor Scott left office, and um, he had he definitely had some tension. I know he vetoed a, a family law reform bill. Uh, there was definitely some tension with the House over uh, some of his jobs programs, and then there was things like Visit Florida, which kind of come up again and again, and so. Uh, so there, there was a little bit more tension uh, on, under under uh, Governor Scott with the with the House leadership, I would say. Yeah, uh, we're looking at uh, redistricting right now. Obviously, yes. uh, the dust hasn't quite settled on all that yet. So no, it hasn't. You know, we can't get into really how that's going to affect your reelection and what what happens with you know with your office. Um, but um, you know, to that extent. Um, did you have any hands in the process? I mean, you know, for your average legislator, I mean, what, what how much really do they have to, in regards to input in a redistricting process? Well, I've given the input at every, um, every stage of the process, both mm -hmm. legislative and congressional. Uh, my constituents have been very clear. Um, number one is they don't want East Hillsboro to be split up any more than it needs to be in order to achieve the, the population numbers and to otherwise comply with the constitution and good for state house or, or Congress or both. Well, for both. Okay. For, I mean, we wouldn't, we, we apply the exact same standards, mm -hmm. uh, to both. And so, um, I fought as much as I could on the state legislative maps to make sure that they were compact and kept our community together. Um, quite frankly, you know. I don't think me or my constituents are that happy with the legislative maps, but okay. we, I just definitely did what I could and they improved it from what they had to what was enacted. Uh, in terms of the congressional maps, it was the same thing. I found the Hillsborough, this is all things I've said on the floor of the house and I've said in the newspaper, so yeah. there's, there's no nuclear secret here um, or, or saying anything that we shouldn't be talking about. They split Hillsborough County uh, four ways and one of the maps they split Hillsborough County six ways and mm -hmm. I, fought very hard to get the four instead of the six and four is still too much because sure. they split counties uh, like Miami-Dade, which have over twice our population. They only split them that many ways. Right. So why we should, with our more modest population, you could fit all the Hillsborough basically into two and they split us. Still you would think four. the smarter thing would be to keep the bigger counties yeah. intact. And I was in Plant City last week and 
I said, basically, if I go in this room, I run 100 yards that way, you're in uh, the Polk District. I go 100 yards south, you're in the uh, Sarasota and Manatee District. Wow. I go a couple miles north, and you're in, it literally split Plant City, not not just once, twice, it split Plant City three times, where I was speaking to those uh, to those folks out there. So it splits not just Hillsborough, but East Hillsborough multiple well, times. Well, in that community specifically, you know, that has they you know plant city at large you know has a lot of the same needs mm -hmm. and the same um you know interests the same you know mm -hmm. it's in so it, it makes no sense to split it up it makes no sense to split them and that's a very small municipality and then the other thing but what, a very important one because of the large agricultural industry absolutely and they're they're a small population you should be able to fit them into a single district then the yeah. other real component of the the issue on the congressional maps was is they were drawing I mean, talk about compactness within a county uh, for one minute it's not about compactness within the state they had the remember corinne brown remember she, she went to prison yeah. uh she got out on a technicality but she went to prison for a while before that she was a congresswoman she was known as the gerrymander queen her district <laughs> went from jacksonville to the outskirts of orlando okay <laughs> and then they fixed it they so they, they pretended to fix it and so what did they do they made it go from jacksonville <laughs> All wrap around Tallahassee. In other words, it goes to like <laughs> oh West God. Tallahassee. It avoids East Tallahassee uh, because it doesn't pick up the demographic that they need to draw this district that right. they think that they need to draw. Okay, the, the 14th Amendment is very clear that we treat everyone the same. We don't take into account certain factors when the government's administering any program, including and especially yeah. voting. The whole purpose of the 14th and 15th Amendments were to protect voting. Protect voting from who? From Southern states that classified people based on types of things that we should not be classifying people for. Sure. And the idea that we're going to now do that explicitly in our state constitution or read our state constitution to require us to do that and use that to justify this this antiquated and improper practice. Mm -hmm. I think that's ludicrous. The, the, the supremacy clause of the United States Constitution says very clearly that the United States Constitution is the supreme supreme law of the land anything else notwithstanding they specifically call out state constitutions in there why because state constitutions back in when the 14th amendment was passed had a lot of bad things in them right okay and so we shouldn't be everyone should have an equal opportunity uh to vote to um, live in a district and to vote for whoever they want to vote for and we shouldn't go before an elections been done before anyone's qualified for the ballot before anyone's run a campaign and said which type of people should be voting for which type of people or who or where we shouldn't be doing that we should just draw fair districts follow geographic boundaries political boundaries right try to keep communities together and keep them compact and then i guarantee you like every other process that we follow then you're going to get you're going to get good uh, elected officials who are going to represent their communities well and we're not going to have any of those problems so pretty su surprising to you that the state supreme court uh, just approved the maps on the seemingly more or less the first shot well so th those were the state legislative maps uh, okay. nobody filed a brief to contest the state legislative maps right and the supreme court still they were very conscious of of what they were doing they said well nobody's contesting it but we still need to do our constitutional duty and examine these maps and and, and determine that they were correct and they wrote an opinion that's available <clears throat> on the website i read it and they said that they they complied they, that's what the supreme court said and wow. um so th that that's what they said yeah um 
Uh, I guess I'll leave it there. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. And uh, to wrap up that kind of our, our first topic, which we kind of just went right into there, um, special sessions. I, I heard we might be having one on property insurance. Definitely on redistricting, possibly on property insurance. Um, Federal redistricting. Federal redistricting. Got correct. it. Okay. And then well, possibly well, well, well. on property Definitely homeowners. on federal redistricting. We'll see. Uh, yeah. Like I said, we'll see what happens. No, and yeah, definitely. I mean, Florida being what it is, I mean, pretty surprising that they would um, just kind of, you know, kick the can on property insurance. Given well, we didn't kick the can. I mean, let's let, let's back up because that, that's a narrative that I don't know who's pushing that, but that's the narrative that's been pushed Um from, I guess, certain uh, legislators or le legislator, um, and then also by the media, which I've never seen the media want uh, litigation reform and property insurance like <laughs> so much, except in the last 10 days. Because, yeah. you know, three years ago uh, in 2019, when we were in the special session, there was, a, there was a very aggressive bill, and they said, oh, this bill is going to prevent people from making claims against their... Um, against their um homeowners insurance yeah. now this year they're saying oh the legislature is not doing anything to and they're asking for more draconian measures than the ones that we had three years ago that we passed um obviously over their objection but nonetheless implemented into law so let's let, let's just let's just have the record straight now any of that because the result of what happened in miami well, that's that's that. So there's the surf side, which is the right. condo inspections, yeah. and then there's homeowners property insurance. So let's Got let's it. keep them separate. We'll come to let's do the homeowners insurance because you brought that one up first. Yeah. Okay, homeowners insurance 2019. We banned assignment of benefit claims. They said it's all these assignment of benefits. The bad actors doing assignment of benefits ban AOB or regulate AOB so that it cannot be abused, and you're going to solve all the problems. We did exactly what they wanted. Okay, we uh, put in a new uh, litigation regime there, and obviously that wasn't enough. 2020, I was the lead house sponsor to get rid of attorney fee multipliers. Let me break that down real quick. So the insurance statute has a one-way attorney fee, meaning the consumer can get their fees from the insurer if they win. If they lose, the insurer cannot get the attorney fees from the consumer. Oh, That's fair. Okay. That 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 levels the playing field because sure. you're going up against a big insurance company. So you have a little bit of a procedural advantage there. Fair enough. These attorneys are coming in now and claiming, you know, four or $500 an hour hourly rates. And that's not the rates that are commonly charged for that type of litigation. That's right. more of a commodity type litigation. Uh, it's usually the defense attorneys usually bill the insurance company, say $200 an hour, but still the courts are awarding four or $500 an hour. You know what? Fine. Okay. Uh, they won the case. Okay. But then they're coming in and they're saying, I need two or three times that because of the risk I took. It's like, well, they're not that risky because the insurance companies are settling the cases, settling cases they shouldn't, settling frivolous cases yeah. because it costs more to defend than it does to settle. Right. So nobody really ever gets gets holding left holding the bag on when they file the case and they're not able to win. In fact, the cases settle the chances of a homeowner losing a jury verdict in a property damage claim are almost nil. So there really isn't a lot of risk and it really isn't supposed to be four or 500 an hour that already has a bit of a risk premium involved. And they say, well, we need to attract attorneys to the practice of doing homeowners <laughs> insurance claims. So, well, it's like, okay. no, you okay. don't. Too like much. you have people far, advertising on the bus, uh, on the bus, including a bus that was in my way when I was driving into the Capitol to run this bill. Right. So like, and I said that in committee that day. So the people are advertising to do this type of work. You don't need to pay more and more and more attorney fees in order to attract attorneys that you have the attorney fee award. And there are attorneys who are getting that fee right. award and are able to recover for their clients. And the system is working fine for the consumer. Probably it's, it's, there are too many claims. Okay. So I passed, uh, passed that bill off the floor of the house and it died in the Senate. 
okay? okay? 2021, we came back. That was 2020. 2021, we came back and we uh, passed legislation to ban the solicitation of the people who go around and say, you make a roof claim and I'll give you a, a gift card. And that's totally illegal because right. you're supposed to collect the deductible right that every yep. insurance policy and there's it's it's fraud if you don't collect the deductible and sure. if i give you a gift card that's equivalent or a portion of the deductible it's essentially kicking the deductible back so you're not collecting the deductible so that's right. insurance fraud but we codified it that 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 specific practice is is explicitly insurance fraud even though it already already was and uh so we did that and we did a number of things we changed the fee shifting so that you um you basically whoever's being more reasonable pre-suit is entitled to collect attorney fees so that if you're totally unreasonable uh you don't let, get to collect the attorney fees and so that should promote pre-suit settlement and people to be reasonable in their settlement demands and so forth and that should promote more good behavior and uh that law has been challenged and parts of it have been enjoined in various courts uh so the idea that, that we haven't done anything uh that's the narrative that's been spun uh, that idea is is just ridiculous in fact every year we've done something this year we came and we had another piece of legislation and frankly the chambers couldn't reach consensus between the two of them yeah uh but the idea that we've we've done nothing and by the way in 2020 2021 the last time we addressed this when we enacted mm -hmm. something they said it was going to take 18 months for the bill to have the desired effect of uh either reducing the insurance rates or at least mitigating the increase or yeah. whatever it was the promised benefit of it and then nine, 10, 11 months later, they're turning around and saying, well, we still have a problem. It's like, well, you told us, because we said to the insurance company, he says, okay, we'll do this yeah, bill. Yeah, we'll fix it. When are my rates going down? They said, yeah. it'll be 18 months. I said, that seems like a little a little much, but okay, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll do it and we'll wait 18 months and see what happens. And then they're coming back inside that window saying, A, that, a, that they need more and B, that we didn't do anything. Right. So we've done a lot and I think we should do more and we're probably going to do more, but the idea that we haven't done a lot or that the legislature, do you want the legislature to just pass any bill that right. comes before no, of course you? Not. That, do you want the bill? No, you want us to do the give and take to get a good product. And this has been a problem for four yeah. or five, six years. They're saying it's an emergency. Well, maybe it is, but it's also, let's take the time to get it right. Because well, we're also losing lots of insurers, aren't we? I mean, aren't there, you know, then there seem to be a large number of insurers that are going out of business or no longer writing policies in Florida? There's no question that it's tough to do homeowners insurance in Florida. There's sure. no question about that. But I'll say this is we've provided a couple of different sets of tools to the insurance companies. And I say this every time they ask me to come to their conferences, I come to their conferences yeah. and I, we do, we talk about the tort form, but I also say to the lobbyists and to the, the insurance company executives, I say, look, I've given you the tools. I've given you a couple of sets of tools, right? It's like, I, I have like three toolboxes. You have three toolboxes on your table and you say, you still can't fix the sink. It's right, like, well, right. get under the sink and get those wrenches out and try to do it because they're not using these tools. They're still not litigating. Yeah. The okay. insurance companies. So, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Honorable representative. I have full confidence in why you're in Tallahassee after all of these conversations. <laughs> and I feel that you are the absolute correct person to be in Tallahassee well, thank you. for these purposes. Um, we can go down this rabbit hole. And for some odd reason, pe more people are watching because we started talking. Well, because if you're a homeowner like you else. are, I mean, this is, again, it's, it's especially if you're I anywhere near make, the waterfront. I will make no comments about my homeowners associate, my homeowners uh, insurance policies, because the fact that we still have it is absolutely amazing. <laughs> and yeah. I will leave it at that. Um, okay.
so w- yes. what we want to do is is also get into uh, again, you know, the 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 parental rights bill. Okay. Okay. Now um, you don't want to talk about insurance anyway. <laughs> no, I was look. I was totally okay. you know no, uh, in that's, on it because again, I know that that's yeah. that's uh, an important issue. I mean, I'm not a, currently a homeowner, but I know that for those that are, yeah. it's an incredibly important and costly issue. Oh, it's going up every year, and I yeah. complain, and I complain sometimes to the lobbyists who ask me to do these reforms. It's uh, worse because, than college tuition. Yeah, because they shouldn't be paying. <laughs> let me just let me just finish with this. The insurance company's got two obligations. One is to pay legitimate claims. That's what right. you pay them for. The other is if somebody makes a frivolous claim, don't just pay it and don't then settle it. and then say that your in costs went up and go to Office of Insurance Regulation and say you need a rate increase. You're going to charge everyone. Sure. More. If it's a frivolous claim, it's your obligation to litigate that for exactly. your own company, your own shareholders, for the system, and for your rate payers, yeah. the policyholders. Yeah. So you're telling me lawyers so, are the only people getting money out of this? Yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, that's 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 kind of how it boils down. I mean, I mean, they're really milking the system, you know, to try to get every single dollar they can. And it's like it's like a dozen law firms file like the majority of the claims, right? You know, and it's it's like there's like a hundred thousand of us in Florida, and it's like a couple <laughs> law firms that are filing these claims. I mean, I've never done a property damage claim, and the insurance companies when when I do have a claim that involves the insurance company, yeah. believe me, they're not paying out. They make me do my work and you know earn whatever um, whatever money. I make okay so back to the parental rights bill yeah, sure okay now we, you know we were actually talking about the homeowners insurance which you know there's an existing problem that we you know that's being trying to solve this was something that kind of came out of the blue okay there wasn't any particular story that you know you know that that made national headlines and there wasn't any kind of an incident that you know sparked uh, you know the need for this type of legislation or at least not that I can recall um, but now it's seeming to have been almost ahead of its time right because we're actually in the news this week uh, over the past week New Jersey has said that not only second graders but even first graders are going to start getting uh, gender and uh, and sexual education as part of their curriculum Um, mind you that they have real problems they could be tackling but this is what they've chosen to advance in their curriculum where did where did this spawn from where did this parental rights bill spawn from and I mean, we, we've seen the polling. The polling on both sides of the aisle has been favorable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really, it's the ones to the far left, you know, and, and unfortunately now Disney has become part of that far left that are being have become very vocal in opposing this bill. So where, where did this spawn from? Well, okay, so yeah, yeah, is that a lot? A lot of things that I want to respond to. You see, you ask where it comes from. I guess the thing is, like, when does like sex ed become a a, a self uh, self feeding issue, right? So, like, obviously, at some point, kids need to learn about contraception, about safe sex, about healthy relationships. They need to learn that. Sure. Probably at some point in high school. Right. Okay. But the problem is you start teaching it in high school, then you start teaching it to freshmen in high school. Then you say, well, I've got to teach seventh and eighth graders. And they talk to the younger siblings. And then the sixth graders and the fifth graders and the fourth graders are asking questions. And then you say, well, the kids are learning about this type of thing. Yeah. If you introduce the topics in first, second, third, fourth grade, then by fifth, sixth, seventh grade, some kids are going to be doing things. Yeah, okay. Right. Um, if you wait to introduce the concepts until high school, then even the most precocious kid might be seventh, eighth grade. And if you introduce them only later in high school, then maybe, you, you know, you, but the point is the more you put these ideas in the kid's head, the more kids are going to be out asking questions, 
experimenting, doing things. And, and then it's going to, then you have to say, you have to educate them because they got to understand at least the risks of, of what's going on, or at least understand healthy relationships and so forth. And then they're going to, and then you're going to create where you got to start addressing it earlier and earlier, or at least there's some ostensible thing. It shouldn't be addressed before high school. Okay. Well, and you also have the, the component now of the societal pressure, right? The peer pressure, um, and wanting to feel included, wanting to feel accepted, which is a big, you know, that's, that's a natural part of life yeah. in those teenage years. Yeah, and, so, and so you've got kids now who refuse to, um, you know, declare their gender or they refuse to accept that they're straight or they won't admit it because they don't want to feel like they're part of the out crowd. Because currently, I mean, at least from what I've read, you know, from what I see out there, it's almost unpopular now to be straight. Well, it shouldn't be, this shouldn't even be something that should be discussed really until high school. I would right. say. I mean, if you need, yeah, you absolutely. Well, I remember need when when about. that's the only time you got sex ed. Well, it was like in tenth grade. If you and absolutely need to talk about like like the AIDS, they taught they talk they taught about AIDS. Um, at a fair, I mean, I, I I think I was in third grade. I remember sitting in my third grade classroom. I didn't say this on the floor. I'm going to say it here. Okay, I was in the, the, my third grade classroom. I mean, I didn't know about those sort of things. They, I, I grew up in New York City, okay, for those yeah. who don't know, and they had folks, um, I, I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to say, say this play. I mean, they had people who were HIV positive, and they felt badly that they had gotten the disease or spread the disease, and they, they're, whatever thing they were doing, trying to do some public service to mitigate that, so they were coming into the grade schools and talking about HIV, HIV prevention. And maybe, it was, maybe it was necessary to address. I don't think it was necessary to address it that early. But this guy came in the classroom one day and he said, I think I infected over 100 men. Oh, my gosh. And boy, like as a third grader, I was like, what is he saying? Like, I, I don't know what that means. Right. I think I, I went home. I asked my mom. And then my mom had to address that to me yeah. the third, how somebody would go and infect a hundred men. And like, I didn't really need to be thinking about that at all. Certainly not at knowing that about that sort of thing, probably for another five or 10 years. So, you know, the idea, you know, just that, that you put to put that in my head in third grade in well, it just starts to snowball in sixth it or seventh that grade snowball where it creates all, a whole bunch of other conversations and questions yeah but questions you that guys, the society is not really wanting to have the conversation it's one of the most difficult conversations that parents have yeah. with their children and so right then and there yeah. the school system is trying to input themselves into this conversation and, and I, I get it wanting to teach about safe sex wanting to teach about absence giving choices and everything else however us bringing that down to kindergarten into first second third grade that's abs i think that's very inappropriate and it's something that was again you're, i agree with jonathan it wasn't something that we were really talking about but yeah. now it's completely necessary well because it took this left turn which before the show we were talking about how great the left is at marketing right mm -hmm. because they can kind of turn they can simplify you know and it is it's just basic marketing 101 taking a complicated messaging and a message and simplifying it into its most common denominator mm -hmm. yeah. and they turned it into this don't say gay bill which it's absolutely it really has nothing to do with sexuality at all other than the simple fact that you're basically telling people who are employed by the school state system to not talk to children about sexuality and gender.
or we're, we're, that's the, the important thing because I, I want to come back to some of these examples in a second, but let's let's talk about that. I call it the bill that doesn't say don't say gay. Oh, it's a seven-page yeah. bill. Uh, it, it's it's uh, there's strikethroughs of things we delete. We underline the things we add. It's double spaced. There's one section. It's three or four lines. I highlighted it in committee and I spoke about it. And it just says that you don't speak about these sorts of things until the kids are out of the third grade. And then after the third grade, you do so in an age-appropriate manner. You can frankly speak about it fourth, fifth, fourth, fifth sixth, seventh, eighth grade. You can speak about it in high school. Mm-hmm. You can speak about it at home. The yeah. kids can speak about it, even in the class, even in the hallways. It says that the teachers don't make it part of the curriculum. Right. Okay. It doesn't mean like it's never discussed. It means it's not part of the former curriculum that they're uh, forcing down to the students at that early age. That's all the bill says. It doesn't make any value judgment about any, how anyone lives their lives. It doesn't make any value judgment about what consenting adults do. It says we're not going to introduce as the state, as the educator yeah. in the classroom without the parental supervision that we're not going to introduce those concepts at a very early age. Right. If you come from a family, same sex family, Maybe that's something that you address with your kids and you address it at home or you address it in an appropriate way in the way that the parents decide is appropriate. Because they're exposed to that every single day. And then maybe you address it in a different way. But that's a decision that that family and my family and every other family should make for themselves. It shouldn't be imposed by the state. Well, you would think, and then again, there are those in the gay community that see the bill for what it is. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're a parent, gay or not, I would imagine that when it comes to this, the issue of homosexuality and how that kind of plays into society at large, like you would be, you would want to be the one to explain that to your child. Right. And the thing is, the kids don't, when you introduce the concept, if you come in in first grade and say, uh, talk about gay, straight, this and that, okay, then the kids, oh, am I gay? Am I straight? They're going to start worrying about it, trying to figure it out. If you don't say anything about that, the kids aren't going to be thinking about that for years and years. Um, It'll happen on its own. If you put the idea in somebody's head, then it's going to be an issue. If you don't like, don't think of an elephant like you just did. Okay. You know, you know what I'm saying? So like, like if I, if I tell you about something or I mention it, even in passing, then, then they're, then they're going to start thinking about it. And this whole brouhaha about it. And by the way, we prescribe a number of things. We say that you have to teach certain types of history. We say we, we, it's not unusual for the state to pass a law that says what you teach in the schools. And you say there was no particular trigger. I'll give you an example at the high school um, in, in, or the middle school. This is the middle school in my community. And I want to tell you about another thing that happened back back um, in New York growing up. The middle school, Randall Middle School, Lithia, Florida. Middle school, not high school. This they is had, now, today. This is day. now today. It's like yeah. a year ago okay. or, or, or just within, you know, since I, since I was reelected, yep. my constituents, not just my constituents, my neighbors, my, yep. my friends, mm-hmm. uh, but also constituents, but people from my block came to me, multiple parents complaining about this, concerned about this. They had a, a gay day at the school, yep. not a gay club. Not like an elective class, not like an after-school activity right. or you go to the counselor. A gay day that the principal prescribed that there was going to be a gay day. And if you were this 
thing you had to wear that color or type of clothes. You were that, you oh had to wear gosh. this type of clothes. Oh, wow. And if you didn't want to get involved in that sort of thing, and you didn't want to be involved one way or another, you were there to learn English and mathematics and science, right. and you just showed up in your regular street clothes, then you were going to be known as someone who-, who Ostracized. Ostracized, right. exactly. Yeah. You were going to be ostracized. And why should you be ostracized? I just want to come into school and learn my things yeah. and do my sports right. and eat my lunch and go home to my family. And I don't want to get involved in that sort of agenda, but you were going to be ostracized. Now, in high and school- And why that's, why that has to, why, and, and this has puzzled me even with, you know, Pride Parade and all that stuff is like, why does this stuff need to be celebrated? Right. If it's if it's supposed to be so normal and it's supposed to be so acceptable and it's supposed to be nothing out of the ordinary, then why is it celebrated? I mean, we don't you know, you, you don't go out there and you, you don't see hetero parades. Right. Um, yeah, but that's an argument for a different a different day. At the end of the day, if private, no, but it's all ties if, back. The if, problem no, is, is that it trickles, no, it trickles down. No, stop. Because to be the parade celebrate something and they should celebrate. Now, I do believe there should be a difference. Yes, but the problem is, is that's where the agenda starts in the and it comes to a public school education. I don't think that needs to go there, but automatically going to the point of why is yeah, but Enable if you're, if it, if it, if they didn't feel the need to hold parades and and gay days and stuff like that, like they do at Disney and the they Christian do in cities around the Christian the world. community used to do parades all the time. They used to be in large parades used through to. downtown. When was yeah. the last one? When was I would say probably in the late nineties was the last time something. I like don't that remember happened. ever seeing like a Christian parade. I've been to many. I actually was a, uh, one of the flag holders for it. So. It's the same thing, you know, where, which again, if you a know, group when of private individuals want to have, have a parade, let them have a parade. That's fine. But what I'm saying is, is that that is the inception point for these things to trickle down into the school system. If it didn't exist out in the culture, it wouldn't exist in the school system. You guys remember growing up, remember VHS? Remember when you, the oh, teacher, yeah. so that the history teacher would show a film, right? And, you know, the film might be an hour and a half, two hours, standard right. Hollywood film, but you had 45 minute class periods. So remember the teacher would have the thing they would fast forward through the parts <laughs> that they want to show you the historical part, right? Yeah. Okay. So we had some film. It was about Pocahontas and the early settlers in, in the Virginia colony. Okay. And remember, with time limit, right? So he's got to fast forward. He's got to fast forward through at least half of the film. And this is in seventh, seventh grade history class, right. you know, European and American history, whatever it was. And what part did he decide to show my seventh grade history oh, no. teacher? He saw, he, he saw John Smith and Pocahontas going at it. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. And, and oh, I tell you, I mean, God. people told me, I mean, my parents, uh. were, you'd ask a question. My parents were matter of fact about it. I mean, there was like some of the people was nothing was hidden or for me. Everything was explained at an age appropriate sure. thing. But for some reason, you know, it was like younger kid i didn't really click for me it didn't really click why you do that how you do that why you'd want to have the whole thing worked i was the, i saw was that I saw, I saw the 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 film in the history class not in health class not in high wow. school not in biology class right. not in science class and there in, in seventh grade history is that's when it clicked that's when I figured it all wow. out. Why I should have had to figure that out in seventh grade in my history class of all places. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. And it was like, right. and it was, I don't say that with any kind of a glee. I don't, it's not a good memory. Yeah. It's, well, because of the shock of it, right? Because of the shock. And you, it, it just kind of, they gave enough information in that film that the whole thing made sense. And it was like, which is, it might be, it sounds maybe 
<laughs> I don't know. Maybe I would. Which now it. we come to find out may not have even been historically accurate. Well, whether it was historically you know. accurate, but the point was is he had to cut some part of. He sure. had to fast forward through some portion of that film in order to show it in the allotted time. And that's where and he that was the part that he decided to show. And they had the VHS. It's you. You know, you fast forward through. Yeah. Obviously, you can fast forward on the DVD, and they have to curate the film. And that's what he decided to show of a film that probably oughtn't have been shown in the first place in, sure. at all, yeah. let alone in its entirety or in, in, in emphasizing that portion. So I say that then I probably probably that put me at least two or three years ahead of, you know, what I would have figured out otherwise. Sure. And so my point is, is, yeah, if you introduce the concepts, then people are going to figure it out and then things are going to go from there. But it's this is not by the way, it doesn't say anything about any particular group, about any how anyone lives their lives. It just says we don't talk about it. Not that it's right, wrong or indifferent. Yeah. Just says like we're not going to introduce this to very young children. Yeah, but that's yeah. what the left hates. The left hates the imbe- the not se- segregating peoples by gender, by race, by by ethnicity, by all of that stuff. The the left enjoys that kind of divisiveness when it comes to the community and when it comes to education. So I think that's what's really pissing them off at the end of the day that they're not being allowed to say something when they are allowed to say anything they want. It's it's almost like they had to make up an excuse for there to be an argument. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, and the, the idea that, that we started some kind of a culture war, I mean, a, a colleague of mine said on the House floor, I mean, I'm paraphrasing his argument, he was first elected, he had gotten in and out of office, so he reset his term limits. He was elected in 2008, that was the year that Barack Obama was elected. Yeah. I'm just going to paraphrase it if you, because it's really compelling. And he said... He said, in, in 2008, we both ran campaigns. Me and Barack Obama agreed on at least one thing, which is that you know marriage was between a man and a woman. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is 2008. I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm just saying this is what these two gentlemen said in 2008. Sure. By 2012, Barack Obama had reversed course right. on that. Um, and then by uh, by the mid-teens, uh, the Supreme Court had said, you know, had, had struck down. The, the, the law to the extent that uh, you know any two 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 adults uh, could, couldn't uh, get married and then that, that that ship has sailed and not only has that ship sailed but now it's if you want to prevent people from teaching to your kindergarten through third grader about yeah. um, that sort of thing or, or other types of things are frankly more graphic than marriage which is is, yeah. is, is kind of one thing uh, then I guess you're a bigot or you're not consistent with American values or whatever it is. And so he said, well, who started the culture war? Yeah. You know, it's not like we were in some, you know, we were in some, some period of stability. Well, and we seen, went and picked some fight. You know, and we he, have he, seen examples of teachers, you know, out there, uh, again, you know, uh, really kind of putting this front and center in front of children. You know, we had this one teacher who I believe was in a middle school made their kids uh, pledge allegiance to the LGBTQ flag, you know, claiming because she couldn't find an American flag. So she just happened to have an LGBTQ flag. We and pu- so, pull up a flag you know, on your phone. Uh, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, you just find go, you can just book, go on to TikTok and see these teachers that are the, making yeah. these absolutely disgusting content. And you're like, these are the people that are teaching teaching and they are freely making putting yeah. it online right they're doing these things and, and and so they think they're getting away with something you know and again i think what covid did was it actually allowed parents to get closer to what their kids were learning mm-hmm. and it uh and and it really revealed to them that you know the education that their kids were are getting is not all that they thought it was 
cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like we saw in Virginia, I think parental rights and educational issues are going to be the forefront of the next gubernatorial election here in Florida. You know, and again, it's something that I think you know Governor DeSantis has fortunately led the way. And and I don't know if this what happening what's happening in New Jersey is a response to the bill that passed here in Florida. No, I think they just but, tried to slip it in and see if no one was going to say anything. Yeah. And it was just a perfect, it's wrong time, wrong place. And it's, yeah. it's really showing what, what people, cause then we were like, well, who's actually talking about this? And you're like, and then two days later, you get to find out that actually New Jersey education system is slipping this into it. Well, and, what's then, crazy and now the world is going to hell in ambas. They don't even develop their own curriculum. I mean, we have Stephanie Meyer, um, you know, who is a friend of the show. She's running for school board in Pinellas County. And she commented on, uh, on, on one of these stories where they're going to be teaching second graders about sexuality and gender, you know, and all that sort of thing. And she says, there's, there, there are companies out there that create these curriculum. And then what they do is that they then, you know, lobby the school boards to make it part of the overall curriculum for that school district. Um, And I think one of the organizations is called Advocates for Youth or something like that, because it's always something innocuous, right? It's always something that nobody would ever expect is doing any wrong. Um, And they're the ones that are slipping in a lot of this sexual and gender identity uh, curriculum into our schools. Well, let me let me say something. Just kind of you asked about the dynamic and what I've learned and about our process because th- this is this is really important. I went up. I mean, I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer by training. I sit on the Judiciary Committee, um, and I focus a lot on that and the constitutional issues and, and 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 so forth. When I leave that committee to go present a bill somewhere else, I'm invariably going to the education community. I run more education bills than I thought I would because there are so many problems in the education environment, and I'm not necessarily wow. an educator but i've become so involved it seems every year whether it's uh whether it's school choice or just making sure that kids can get on the school buses right or or just this year trying to prevent pornographic books from being kept in school libraries or things that fr- frankly i never imagined i'd have to run that sort of bill yeah uh, but i do and you know obviously the state has a preemptive power and um obviously the liberals are always complaining when we exercise it uh, but basically we're spending a lot of time on these issues that we shouldn't have to spend time on things, people taking the initiative, doing bad things. And then we have to say, no, like we don't want you doing those sorts of things in our schools. And these are all things that the local governments, either the county commissions or the school boards or municipalities are screwing up. Mm -hmm. And there's no substitute for winning local elections. I mean, we can preempt and preempt and preempt. And it seems like people complain that we preempt everything. It's like, well, stop governing badly at the local level and we wouldn't have to preempt. So these elections matter. Elections have consequences and the local elections have serious consequences. And if we could win some of these local elections, we really need to reverse that. We're doing great at the state level. I think we're going to do great in the national elections. We need to reverse this at the, there's no substitute for winning local elections. I mean, we can put a band aid on this. I talk about this every time. But that's the thing. The locals are so fixated on national issues and national problems and national races that it's, it's become such an issue with us that we're having to tell them on a regular the base at every single meeting it doesn't matter what we're talking about for national when we're still in a 62,000 vote deficit between democrats and republicans in hillsborough county well, what are you doing to fix that deficit and we see great candidates that come up every cycle and they decide to run for the completely wrong office Correct. you know because that's all they know all they know is congress senate you know and then you know and so they think and they also don't know what it entails they don't know what the commitment is or certainly what the financial hurdles are to, to 
even get elected at that level. And, uh, and so you lose a lot of your bench, you know, because they run for offices that, you know, that, that they're not ready for when in turn, they could very easily walk into city council, county commission, school board uh, races, um, and do well and win. Um, but you know, they, they either see it beneath them, um, or nobody has educated them to the fact that they could actually have a bigger impact in those local elections, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you got to put, if you're going to do public service, you got to put your ego aside, okay? Yep. Like, I get into, like, my old model car. I drive over 200 miles. Like, I stay in, like, not a place that you'd stay if you're going on vacation. Okay, they pay me $29,000 a year. It, it's, it's really not glamorous. Like, if you saw right. my office, you know, and, you know, this office is nicer than, than a the lot of legislators, uh, you know, are roommates, you know, yeah, you have two, three people or, in an apartment know, or, or it's, you know, it, it's not, it, it's really not glamorous. I mean, you can try to make it glamorous, but then you're probably not doing the work or, or living the lifestyle that your constituents wanted you to do. But the, 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 the point is, is, I mean, it, it, it's, if you go and you go and you do good work and you do the public service, I mean, if you do some of these local things, it's, it's almost, you sleep in your own bed. Okay. You probably, you, everyone, no, nobody gets paid as bad as we do. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, so it's really that to say that it's beneath, I mean, I started off with a fairly modest office. I mean, I didn't run for Congress out of the gate or something yeah. like that. Um, and I started and I've been able to make a difference and the people say, do you enjoy it? I mean, enjoy it. Well, there's a reason you have these county commissioners that play the merry-go-round here because yeah. they're sitting there making eight figures. Yeah. I mean, six figures every year. Yeah, and, and you know, that, and that that's important work, and somebody needs to do that work. Right. Um, but the I guess the point is, as this office is below or above or that or this, the question is, and when you're looking around, is like, can you do a better job either than the incumbent or the other candidates mm -hmm. in the race? Can you do that job and still meet your financial obligations, meet your obligations to your family, and and, and keep your health in order and everything like that? Yeah. And if you can, you can do that. You can sustain that, and you can make a difference. Then you run for. Uh, the office that you're best suited for. I mean, not everyone needs or wants to be a congressman. And yeah. frankly, I don't know that you make any more difference there than some other places. Although you could certainly try, but. All right. Well, uh, you know, we, we haven't really taken a break since we started the show. Uh, so really quickly, let me go ahead and reset the show here as we are actually already about to wrap it up with our final topic. <laughs> but uh, joining us today, State Representative Michael Beltran from District 57, a longtime friend and friend of the show. Um, and so we're, we're really happy to have you. Um, you know, hopefully we'll we'll get to do maybe a little bit of a deeper kind of one-on-one -on -one profile, especially once we know kind of what, what the uh, re-election situation is going to look like. Um, but uh, just want to remind everybody, thank you so much for watching, listening, whenever, wherever you may be doing so. We are live on Clubhouse. Got a couple guys hanging out there. So if you want to join them, uh, you can do so. Look us up by the yard sign. Uh, we got the room going live. Or you can follow me, Johnny Torres, on Clubhouse, and I'd be more than happy to follow you back. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the audio version of our podcast uh, going strong we now hit the 140s in uh, in our ranking uh, and you can find us on all the social media podcast platforms uh, Google Apple Spotify audible Amazon iHeartRadio Odyssey and Samsung podcast platforms and we appreciate you liking sharing subscribing to us on those uh, podcast platforms and uh, if you're watching on YouTube make sure you ring the bell is uh, what the kids say anyways. Uh, but uh, we want to kind of go ahead and, and, and wrap up today's show with, um, you know, more of a federal issue. Um, and even 
so i mean it's one that we felt that republicans were really sounding the alarm on right before the election and the media conveniently ignored uh which is hunter biden in uh, the now infamous laptop um and the amount of information that has you know continuing to come out about what has actually been on this uh laptop and you know it's bad when even Vox basically succumbs to, you know, the fact that they have to address the story and they have to report on it accurately uh, because it is becoming an issue for the Biden family. Now, for those of you that may be paying attention more on the surface, um, I didn't even know that President Biden had a sister. Okay, but he apparently has a sister who is now making the TV rounds and doing two things. One, trying to build the narrative that Hunter Biden is harmless. Uh, the family loves him, the family cares for him, he's not a bother, he's not an issue, excuse me. <clears throat> the other is that all these allegations and accusations and things that he's being now officially accused of and soon to be charged with um, are all distractions that President Trump had created. And that these are all things that Trump has, has put out there as a way to continue to bring the Biden family down, uh, which, again, as this continues to roll out and more information is known about what was on that laptop. I mean, even without getting into the salacious stuff, right, you know, the drugs and the prostitutes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're talking about some serious issues here. And I know Nebel's itching to get into it. I mean, we're talking about a lot of money being paid to Hunter Biden, which which for no other reason can be seen other than for access to the then vice president, now president of the United States. And now we get a lot. And so the, there are more and more leaks coming out from the laptop that was issued back there and how the emails back and forth with him and the family and him and his kids distinctly talk about how that there's there. What it said that I'm giving 50% to pop pop of some kind. And so, Oh my God, it happens every time. Every <laughs> And so they're talking about how in text messages that they that the arrangement is that he gives 50% of what he earns to yeah. grandpa, which means if that's the case, then someone needs to be asking the question, is that true? Or are you just being hyperbolic? Or are you just talking to talk? Like what what are those allegations? Because we're not talking about someone that's making a few thousand dollars here and there. We're talking about someone that's making hundreds of thousands, mm -hmm. even millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, there are reports of him getting uh, purposely staying in a hotel that that the vice president was in and then staying there for an extra three to four weeks just because he wanted to use the hotel room. We have reports talking about how he spent 20, he gave, accidentally gave $25,000 to uh, a <laughs> prostitute in Los Angeles. And these are just through email. Like how on earth do you actually, put, I don't know. When I started in corporate, in the corporate world, I would have never been this open about emails in ever. And the fact that I was having disclaimers and you do what you have to do to protect yourself in the company. But I don't, when did we stop talking about like email etiquette when it comes to just not putting your business out there? Well, we're also talking about, you know, a drug addict. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't know to what extent, I don't know if he's still addicted. I don't know if he's got a handle on that whole situation, but obviously the guy was in a very dark place. Um, you know, especially to the extent that he was documenting a lot of this stuff himself and putting it on this laptop, um, and, and disseminating it to God knows who, 
Um, just leaves but, it at a repair shop. Yeah, but again, <laughs> Vox, which is as liberal as they come, you know, is 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 saying how much legal jeopardy is Hunter Biden in? Um, you know, like you said, there was the 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 six figures uh, that um, were apparently paid to him, and they're saying the investigation focuses on Hunter Biden's well compensated work for foreign interests over the past decade or so, particularly for businesses. Uh, or tycoons in the Ukraine, China, and Kazakhstan, uh, which again, remember Biden completely losing it on the campaign trail on that one guy who asked about his son's involvement in the Ukraine mm -hmm. uh, with businesses there. And the main legal questions to appear whether Hunter uh, violated tax laws, I'm sure that's the least of it, uh, committed money laundering or acted as an unregistered foreign lobbyist. Uh, I mean, in the, the I mean, it's a pretty damning article. The foreign lobbyist is definitely, he's probably committed that. I'm not. He's, I'm how not could you not? I want to say dad. I want to say this. If they were able to bring any kind of uh, investigation or litigation towards the Trump kids, there's yeah. no way there's not enough evidence somewhere around yeah. here. Hold on right there because I also wanted to scroll back, uh, scroll back up a little bit. Um, keep going. Keep going. All right, because this is also fascinating to me. Just a little bit more because the, there we go. So New York Times, Wall Street Journal, ABC, CBS, CNN, uh, uh, the Associated Press, pretty much what we consider the mainstream media, have all published stories in recent weeks with a similar theme, the investigation run by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware, which has gotten increasingly active with witnesses testifying to a grand jury. I mean, they, are, they just... They haven't announced the charges yet, but I'm sure there's going to be a litany of charges. So as a lawyer, where in the process do you think they are right now? Well, if the witnesses, I mean, this is these are all stories. Obviously, the grand jury proceedings are sealed. But if people are going to the, the grand jury and, you know, if folks are consistently reporting that, then there, there may be some truth to that. Um, notwithstanding my usual skepticism of the mainstream media, but yeah. um, if people are testifying before a grand jury, I, not many pro federal prosecutors in a case like this would go to a grand jury unless they had the goods. Right. And uh, well, some of this stuff's well documented, you know, that, for example, there was someone in Kazakhstan who actually bought him a Fisker. Uh, which was, you know, a pre-Tesla electro electronic, uh, you know, supercar, electric supercar. Um, and then he apparently traded in that Tesla for a Porsche with other foreign money, you know, that was then wired, you know, to directly to the car dealership, um, you know, to complete the transaction. So, I mean, there's all kinds of, there is all kinds of like I'm, money I'm moving around. the idea of the forensic yeah, I mean, work the, that's happening right now. If yeah. the U.S. Attorney's Office, I mean, the, the rule of thumb in federal criminal defense is if the federal prosecutor wants an indictment, they're going to get it. You know, the, the grand juries are, by and large, uh, very compliant. And so, I mean, if, if, if that's if that's really what's happening, uh, then I would say, you know, an indictment is probably going to come forth if that's what the prosecutor wants. Do well, you think that's going to be the October surprise? For this coming election cycle, I don't think we, you need an indictment to lose, take a thumping in November. But <laughs> no, they don't. No, really, but, but it would make it even better. I mean, might as well just get it all out of the way now. But the question does become that if they are able to, again, these are incredibly powerful people we're dealing with. I mean, if you want to, if you want to see how powerful, again, only look to the 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 Epstein situation and how well that was hidden and covered up. Um. In if Florida. they are able to connect the dots to the president at that point, 
do you feel that either Republicans try to get him out of office or do they just pressure him to resign? Um, or does, or does he just stick it out and, and, and pay the price in two years? Do you think the country can survive a Kamala Harris presidency? No, but that's that's the picture that people need. To okay, understand. so then, so then, and what? An impeachment? A no, Clinton, don't even impeach. a Clinton-like or a Trump-like impeachment where he just sits in office for two years doing nothing. He's already sitting in office doing nothing. Well, <laughs> that's well, a, Trump yeah. and Trump and Clinton actually, did, you know, did a couple of things in their last year or two. But well, Trump did a lot. Trump and did so a lot. did Clinton. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, let, let me say, yeah, this. he became I mean, a Republican basically. I mean, let, let me show that. Say this: yeah, they did two frivolous impeachments over. against Trump, right? Yeah. And, you know, frankly, I'm not sure the, the whole Clinton thing really uh, saying what he did was oh, right. Oh, come on. I'm just, I'm was just not dress. sure that was there a, was a dress. Okay. Well, I'm just sure. I'm not sure that the Republicans looked good. I'm sure the Democrats looked good. I'm oh, not no, sure we didn't look good at all. Good. Well, I mean, but it I'm forced not, it forced Clinton's hands to come to the middle and basically and, and basically he played ball, play the ball second, with, yeah. the, with the Republicans, you know, to get anything passed. Yeah, Clinton won his second or race. Or he would have been a lame duck. He won his second race, but he did, they did not take back the House or the Senate. Okay. That, was, that stayed with the uh, Republicans until... Okay, I'm not sure. There were people, I mean, remember remember Newt Gingrich lost yeah. his seat, and then there was another guy who came in, right. a new speaker, and then he had to step down. I mean, that was not, you know, it was that, that was not... It was um, crazy. Uh, that that was not a great uh, situation for the Republicans either, quite frankly. But yeah. to, to, they they brought two frivolous, um, both substantively and procedurally, um, impeachments against Trump. The second one, he was already out of office. Mm -hmm. The um, obviously the first one uh, didn't uh, go anywhere, and arguably Biden was more uh, guilty of, of, of what the accusation was than. Um, than Trump was. So, you know, the, the idea that, you know, that, that Biden should be, I mean, let's, let's, let's find out what the facts are. The grand jury's yeah. going to issue an indictment and then the, the government's going to unseal the charges. And then we're going to have a lot more information about the specific facts. And the, but, yeah. but do, does the federal government then try to connect the dots to the president or do they just drop it? And, and, and I don't think, and they, I don't think they drop them. it, but again, you are now within the two year window of, Biden having to run in 2024 and now you having that indictment or that kind of that kind of storm around the White House they're not going to want him to run again because it's already so bad that there is already a, a whiff of some kind of inappropriateness but, but and that's your, why I think point, I think the Republicans are going to go out for blood they're going to want to impeach him but again that's a stupid thing to do when you have the House and the Senate and you should be passing laws and you should be doing the people's work <laughs> instead of just st stuck sticking us with six months of impeachment talk before an election cycle. well McCarthy is already saying that he he's trying to basically tell Republicans, hey, let's not even yeah, we're not going start there. talking about impeachment. Um, but I think the impeachment that's currently discussed is simply because of his mental health. I mean, the the, the, the man is truly, I mean, on it, it seems on a daily basis, he is, is quite degrading. I mean, right in front of us. Um, yeah, look, but unfortunately, I mean, we we knew we knew about the hunter biden thing at least to some extent before the election and we knew he wasn't in great shape either before the yeah. election. somehow um, whether right wrong or different by hook or by crook or by uh legitimate election i don't know i wasn't in those states that yeah. you know where where there were the questions or the issues i mean obviously we know what we did here in florida but this man is sitting in that office at the end of the day i know that uh how we how we got there uh whether by <laughs> 
a free election or otherwise, you know, um, yeah, we're two years kind of baffles yeah, me. We're but, two years um, out from that. There's no point of relitigating. No, the it's not relitigating that. But what I'm saying is, is that he was became president despite those things, right? He became president. He stood there. He was sworn in on January 20th. But um, you know, so. Uh, we got to make better decisions as a country. I mean, we really do, you know. Well, it, it, it shows you also, you know, how poorly I think, you know, and how well hidden it has been for the Democrats to hide how poorly they've been doing nationally, you know, because they do really have very little in terms of a bench, you know, that represents the future of the party. I mean, you know, you, the best they could produce, I mean, was, you know, Kamala Harris, uh, Pete Buttigieg, you know, who, again, was a mayor. But that's because they are playing the woke politics situation. They, in their minds, they think they have to have a black vice president. They have to have a black female uh, Supreme Court justice. And the thing is this, as someone of, of a minority, and Johnny, we've talked about this before, the worst thing you can tell to someone is that you got this job because of your skin color. Yeah. Not because of what you did, not because of what you've right. done, it's because of the skin color. And yeah. that is, the, it's almost, it's a slap in the face for every minority. But they've been digging that hole, I mean, hence ever why since affirmative action. Hence why out. they're losing the vote when it comes to right. in waves with the hispanics and only now with the black vote yeah so um uh is there a website for you that people can visit uh to kind of keep up with uh your reelection and to kind of keep up with i'm guessing you're also going to be putting out some information once the maps are final and everything well, we'll, we, we'll we would love to hear a decision now but we will we're, wait we'll, we'll certainly be running some sort of uh, <laughs> campaign come the summer uh, i could i could tell you that yeah um you can follow me on facebook twitter or linkedin i'm pretty searchable there elect mike beltrans the campaign website yeah, you can is. follow sign up for my legislative newsletter to elect, you want elect to, mike beltran.com yeah like mike beltran.com you want okay. my legislative newsletter just um contact the legislative office and then all the bills and everything and the committee video the floor video it's all on the official house side so there cool. uh there's a number of ways to follow what's going on yeah so. Well, man, thank you so much for coming Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Yeah, Thanks for having me. a great show. Um, and uh, we, we uh, usually like to close it out with uh, one last thing. But an evil doesn't have anything to uh, uh, share with us. What tonight. are you talking about? So. <laughs> we have things that we can talk about. Uh, what, is, what are you looking forward to in the next session? If you if the people reelected, well, next session's next week. We got the special for the map. So oh my god, okay. Oh, bro. If you get reelected, well, after that we got the whatever this insurance thing is that folks are talking about. But are we know. doing like a something with guns or Second Amendment? Is that going to get a special session? Uh, there's been some talk about that. I mean, we're definitely doing the maps. We might do the insurance. There's been talk. I about really the don't guns. want. I don't want there to be a special session when it comes to the the, the guns. Just because I want them not to get You're what they want. You're talking about the want. open carry bill? Yes. I want them not to get what they want because they, they're so annoying when it comes to that. And if you can't get it through the proper channels, besides insurance and, and the federal lines, but <laughs> if it'll get Anthony time. Sabatini to shut up, I'm happily uh, willing to jump on board with. Well, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. Let's, <laughs> speak, let's just speak in general terms. In general terms, if you're yeah. going to do a special session, then the question is, is why did something not get done during the regular mm -hmm. session? Yeah. And what has changed since then in terms of political will or otherwise mm -hmm. that we're going to get it done. And well, if you I would don't definitely, have a good answer to you know, that, on that particular issue, I would love to kind of have you back and talk about <laughs> like why in the state of Florida, you know, does that seem to be such a, you know, kind of a contentious issue? The concealed uh, carry? Yeah. I, I, I don't want to get into it now because obviously there's, there's, I'm sure there's a lot to discuss there. Um, but for you personally, what, what, what do you see? What is kind of on the top of your goals list? Uh, 
for the the real next legislative session. Well, look, we'll, we'll have to see, um, you know, see what the pressing issues are okay. at that point. One thing I'm very concerned about, and I've said something about it this year, I said something about it last year, is obviously we've been having a good economic run. Mm -hmm. um, our budget was way over $100 billion. It and then was, we put about nine billion in the bank for we put about nine billion day. in the bank. Yes, yeah. but at some I point, love it. I love at it some point, we, we should have reserve. I mean, we've reserved and then we've reserved, and then our revenues are continuing to increase. I don't want it to be where having a good run in Florida, having good tax revenues, because people are a coming in to visit and b coming in to move here, and property values are going up, and yeah. frankly, everything's going up. I don't want that to become by default that we grow government. Sure. Mm -hmm. So we reserved and rightly so, and that's per perhaps a partial excuse for the budget going over a hundred billion last year and then this year. The other part of the problem is part of it's inflation, part of it's that the federal money's coming in and they structure it in a way that we have to spend it or spend it yeah. in a certain way. Right. Uh, but once the federal money stops, and I think it has, and then uh, once we've reserved, and I think we have, then at some point we have to look and say, we're not just going to grow revenues, even if it's organic revenue growth. Yeah. We have to look at cutting certain taxes in a way that helps you know, the working and middle class sure. and, and continues to help businesses and the economy grow and people to have a good lifestyle. Because I don't want the government, just because we have a good economy, Economy doesn't mean the government has to. Well, grow. you also got to plan for the growth in you know uh, electric cars, um, you know, and the in the in the reduction in, in the fuel, the gas fuel tax, tax and the yeah. fuel taxes that, and that are coming. That may in. solve some of the problem. Although the fuel tax, when we were um, when we were looking uh, two sessions ago, we were looking to cut a tax, and the fuel tax was already going down, so we went ahead and cut another tax. Um, and I'm mm -hmm. all for you know if the if the we collect fewer taxes because people stop buying. Uh, fossil fuels, particularly fossil fuels we get from foreign countries that don't like us very much. Yeah. We've been saying that now for about 15 years and still we haven't completely solved the problem. But if we can do that, um, and that's because consumers are adopting electric cars by operation of the market mm -hmm. and their consumer preferences, uh, then that's fine. Then our, our, our revenues go down by X million dollars a year. And frankly, the rest of our revenues are growing. And if we don't tax the people for that anymore than we don't need to tax them. The idea you're going to put some tracker on my car yeah, and say, how many right. miles did I yeah. drive in an electric car? If that's how I choose to drive. And now you're going to have the surveillance state in my car in order to recoup some fuel tax. That's frankly, not that, well, that right. important I'm to, have our, to report my our, mileage every year yeah. to which, our fiscal balance sheet. We don't really need to collect I that money. Perfectly anyway. okay with, because you're already doing it with your cell phone. So with not the government, the government, the government doesn't get yeah, that. The government, the, the amount of people that are listening into these conversations right now, just with our three cell phones on the table, probably with three different carriers. Yeah. Is oh, it's, it's on of, YouTube and speaking podcast of growth, and speaking of unnecessary Facebook. growth of government, uh, this new uh, election integrity office, um, which I mean, again, like we didn't have any problems here in Florida, you know, and I think it was a lot of the grassroots just making noise. Are you really and, starting in that? <laughs> I don't know. No, let's not. All right. All right. Thank you again to Mike Beltran, state representative, District 57. We <laughs> no, we'll just have to bring you back for another show. Talk about my stuff either. We got very good reasons. Oh, now we can talk. About Over it. on the far left is uh, Anibal David Cabrera. Thank you to him as always for uh, co-hosting. Although he um, he got plenty of taxes done today. <laughs> <laughs> it's the financial reporting. It's the tenth. Mm -hmm. It's the eleventh actually. We appreciate you for watching. Whatever, wherever you may be doing so. Again, for the audio version of our podcast, make sure you subscribe, like, follow uh, to any of the podcast platforms at the Tech Overlords at Google. Apple, Spotify, Audible, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, and Samsung Podcast.
podcast platforms. Uh, and again, to see our beautiful faces, you can follow us on Facebook and YouTube for all of our previous episodes. Uh, from Brandon, Florida, this has been the Yard Sign. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Bye-bye. Brandon's not a real city. <laughs>